This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Hungarian for the monkey will now jump in the water. Oh my gosh, is this an idiomatic expression, Drew it is. It is a great expression for now we'll see what happens. That's good. Uh, I'm sure we all want to see what happens after uh, the incident at the last Grand Prix. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing good, yeah. Hungary's a fun race. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's always sad to have the mid-season break come up, um, although it feels like the break is getting shorter and shorter uh, each year. Uh, 23 races this year were sort of spoiled. Maybe we deserve to come up for oxygen for a little bit. Um, but Hungary's a, an interesting track, so hopefully, hopefully we'll see some racing this weekend. Yes, uh, Rob Zachney is out this week. But if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. And if you're new to Formula One itself, know nothing about it, we've got an episode just for you. Our preseason primer assumes no prior F1 knowledge uh, and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you want to go back and listen to that, it's episode 137. Also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month... We release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons uh, that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What's been going on over in Patreon land this month, Danny? Yes, you could argue this is perhaps the perfect point in the season to join up because just so people know it's not like you just get access to the new stuff you get access to everything we've ever done on this patreon the minute you sign up so well depending on what tier you're in so um there's bunches of bunches of stuff there and this week we have loads going up we have a w series i think we're going to call them 101s so these aren't primers we've done primers in the past which basically explain everything about a different racing Discipline. We've done them on MotoGP and another. What other ones have we done? I'm trying to think. It's been. I think a we while. did a NASCAR one once. Yeah. We did a uh, Supercars or, or Super GT. Yes. Uh, so we're not doing a. This is more of a uh, come along with us kind of as the series is going on. We're doing a W Series 101, which will cover the first um, three races, I guess, the two Austria races and the the Great British race we just had. Um, and also Drew's done a bunch of research on uh, just the sport in general. I watched the season two years ago. It might turn into a primer. <laughs> it, it's, it's primer adjacent is what we're uh-huh. sort of figuring out. Uh, but we're not going to call it a primer because then that means that me and Rob also have to... We're going to be the, the every every person on this podcast. Mm. Um, so you'll be getting that one uh, this week. And if you're in the Media Pass uh, tier, which is the one up from that, you have a Hungary track walk already waiting for you to check out. I've been doing circuit guides for this entire season. I had to record this one 
three times because my computer was acting a maggot, um, <laughs> which you'd think would make me better at driving around the Hungara Ring. But because <laughs> I have decided to do all of this year's track walks without the um, racing line in the video game, uh, Hungary is a tricky one, man. <laughs> it's got a lot of very particular braking zones and, and apexes. It's, yeah, it's a mess. It's a real mess. But thank you to all of our patrons, including our title sponsors, Jason Kelly, Will Rumpf, Umberto Roca, Troy Stammer, Circuit Demon, Reagan, Sam G, Connor McManners, Joel Roberts, Abraham Getchell, Jason Chadwick, Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foot, BPM, who's gone for Bot- Botas, probably moving. Oh, it's a good one. Uh, Mo, I'm gonna go with to some person who's on the who's on the. Um, oh, Mr. Lester. Yeah, you, yeah, miss, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, I feel like Mo. I feel like Mo in The Simpsons because every time <laughs> they change their name, I have to like, <laughs> I say it out loud and then go, "Whoops!" It's like Bart Simpson calling in to Mo's Tavern. Um, Simon Villeneuve, good old Og, who I think I missed last week. Apologies, good old Og. Goo, as I'll call you from now on, and David Mule. Thank you all for supporting this silly podcast. Well, speaking of silly things, silly season is probably going to ramp up uh, during the off season break. So if you're if you're new to like the the F one calendar, generally what happens? Uh, this didn't happen last year because COVID messed everything up. But right, um, we're back to kind of usual with the the cadence of the year. So we'll we'll have. Um, uh, Hungary, and then a um, nearly month-long break. So we'll have um, uh, slots for two races go by, where everyone just takes a takes a break. As, as know, a podcast listener, we kind of cover it off pretty good, because we do the post-race and the pre-race. So the break is going to feel a lot shorter <laughs> right. if, you're, if, you're, if you're a Shift F1 listener. And if you're a patron, also you're going to get an, an extra podcast in the middle there. Sorry. Page section is over. <laughs> um, but that is a, a prime opportunity for uh, contracts to get signed, deals to get closed, finger yeah. guns to go off. Um, <laughs> so there's some uh, speculation ahead of that catalyst time that um, Botas, speaking of uh, BPM's name, um, may or may not be remaining uh, at Mercedes. So there's a lot of like, if this were to happen, here's what would happen. Right. Kind of news stories coming out. So, um, this from Autosport, uh, if Mercedes has said that if it opts for Russell and they haven't said yet, uh, they have said that they haven't even decided, but they will do over the summer break. Hmm. Um, if Hmm. they go for Russell, um botas will um i guess they ha- okay all right there's a lot of <laughs> trace tracing down where these stories come from is difficult autosport says uh, they have a high level source that says uh botas a, t- is- a, t- a toto w <laughs> <laughs> right a thomas coyote <laughs> Um, it says that Botas likely is the key target of Alfa Romeo. Oh, okay. Who is um, increasingly looking like they're going to ditch Kimi Raikkonen. They're swapping fins. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're like, well, we already have this 
all this Finnish stuff, this food no one else will eat that we have to bring <laughs> everywhere for Kimmy. Maybe Valtteri will fish. eat it. Perfect. Gio- exactly. Giovinazzi is not not into that. Um, no. First of all, what do you think of this? What do you what do you think of Botas and Alfa Romeo? What do you think of dropping Kimmy? Yeah, I mean, I think we hypothesized a couple of weeks back uh, where would Bottas go? Like, yeah. wh- where would the seat be? And, and it does become pro- problematic. I-, I think we have a... Sometimes we have a tricky time picturing drivers in other cars just in general. Like, it feels so alien and weird to think of, yeah. you know, Sebastian Vettel not in a Red Bull. Like, that was a very bizarre time. Um, I think Alpha. I mean, any, any seat that isn't Mercedes, he's not going to get any of the other like leading seats he's not going to get a red bull seat that's not how they do things they bring up Mm -hmm. talent i think mark weber is probably the last driver who they you know had at the tail end of his career and i don't think that was a particularly great dynamic at that team having a a young up-and-comer and a a sort of a a veteran of various motorsports um you know he's i don't think he's is flashy enough to be in Ferrari material either. He's not Mediterranean enough. He's from the wrong side of Europe. <laughs> um, although, you know, not that they haven't had, you know, Schumacher, of course, but other people from up there. But uh, I think I think his problem was where was he going to get a seat at all? And Alpha is an interesting one because they've not had a wonderful season. A lot of the teams around them have jumped ahead. And they've been in the fight a little bit, but... It's it's not exactly a sexy seat. Um, I think Bottas is in a spot where he is probably just wanting to stay in the sport as mm-hmm. as much as anything else. And Which perhaps, he has said that he wants to do. Right. You don't want to get... This would be... It wouldn't be wonderful for you to be like the second driver a couple of years and then and then this to happen. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a wonderful fit in that it'll keep him in the sport, but I don't think it's... You know, it's definitely a couple of rungs below him. It's, you know, even if he was going... I mean, everything is, right? Yeah, but if he was going to McLaren, he'd be competitive. Or Yeah, it's true. But a lot of, like we said a couple of weeks back, a lot of these teams kind of have these... They're like a couple of years into their current plan. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going Mm to change tracks for Valtteri Bottas. If it was someone like a Vettel who hit the market, for instance, as we saw a couple of years back you see it happen there, but I, I can't see it happening for him. Um, not to be overly critical of him or anything, but he, I don't think he comes with that much excitement or marketing value or all the other things that are he really He doesn't important. have the championships. No, he doesn't. <clears throat> um, there was speculation that he might go to Williams where he was before Mercedes. Right. And I actually think he would have a brighter future at Williams than he would Alfa Romeo. If if that makes sense, I I think there is, I think Williams is more likely to improve than Alfa Romeo is. Right, yeah, there's more of a ceiling there, maybe. Yes, like, like that will appear. Um, and honestly, I'm just kind as much as I have nothing bad to say about the guy, but Nicholas Latifi, I don't know how he's clung onto this sport. It's money. He it's, has it, Canadian sponsors. Okay, yeah. Well, with deep pockets. Well, there you go. So, uh, but they do i mean they just got bought by darlton capital Ugh. so uh, although it seems like they're a it's not like a, a a billionaire with infinite pockets it's more like we're a business, business <laughs> yeah. here so yeah some income would be great from canadians perfect 
I, uh, um, maybe maybe the direct swap is just a little bit too on the nose. You know what I mean? Like Russell comes up, he goes down like that. It's kind of, it's kind of like a I want to bet, so I got your job, and you have to live in my house. <laughs> you know, like right. it's like the Friends scenario of this, where they swap apartments. Talladega Nights. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't think it's. Um... What are you doing in my house? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there is then speculation, well, if uh, Russell goes up and Botas doesn't go to Williams, who does? Um, Autosport also has an article here that I don't think is informed by anything. They're just like, well, it could be these guys. So Nick DeVries and Stoffel Van Dorn, both who are uh, currently and have been parts of the Mercedes ecosystem, right. um, which is, again, closely tied with Williams. They have a Mercedes engine. Total Wolf is a big investor, all that kind of stuff. Um, they are currently on the Mercedes Formula E team and Nick DeVries was the F2 champion, never got an F1 drive and so just yeah. went to Formula 2. Stoffel Van Dorn was with a fraught McLaren team when they did their Honda experiment. Um, and so, uh, and he was also <clears throat> an F2 star. The, I think either of them would do great. Um, the article also points out that Dan Tictum has been a member of the Williams Driver Academy since the end of 2019. Um, he, yeah, the article says, uh, the Briton is widely regarded for his raw natural talent and strong personality, both of which have earned him headlines for both the right and wrong reasons during his career. Uh, so he is, yeah, I, perhaps not uh, uh, a cool dude. Yeah, Tictum as well has had, like, has had problems with getting points yeah and i think yeah. problems with teams yeah I, I i don't in f god you just need to be such a well like cut diamond it seems to be to get one of these seats um and i think tictum does i think yeah he hasn't he hasn't been the sort of clutch performer perhaps that you know even some drivers who have come up from F2, quite frankly, and have not done particularly well in F1, I think you also sort of run into that. Um, and Stoffel has priors in F1, obviously, as well. That's, you know, maybe that counts for him or could count against him. You never know. Like, if they're trying to get someone who knows cars a bit, you got to, you can, you know, he wasn't a Kubica, but he was somebody who was has hours in the car, you know. I think Nick DeFries would be really interesting. I'd love to mm-hmm. see that. He, he, yeah, never really got a shake. And he's uh, he's a he's a fun driver. There are also the two boys waiting in the wings, uh, Daniel Kvyat, who is a uh, Alpine reserve driver, uh, who lost his seat at Alpha Tauri at the end of last year, and of course, former Williams driver Nico Hulkenberg. Right, yeah, the Hulk. I think Hulkenberg has a lot more. Both of those are drivers who never reached the potential people thought they had, but I think Hulkenberg has. I don't know. I I think his. His ceiling is reachable. I don't. I think Kvyat is 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 done. I think we've seen his peak. I can mm. see a Hulkenberg, but he's getting old too as well. So it's it's tricky. He is still um, a reserve for Aston Martin and Mercedes this season, right? So we yeah. shall see. If nothing else, you know, it'd be nice to see a bit of bit, yeah, an old. Fa- we have a lot of new faces in the sport, so I'd be happy for an old face to come back as well. If. Uh, <laughs> Or, or a new one like <laughs> i'm not sure why the article doesn't go into like the rest of 
Williams's back catalog or Mercedes. Like there are tons of Mercedes junior drivers. I mean, super license points, of course, factor into this. Um, but like Jack Aitken is their reserve driver. Right. Um, I loved watching him in Formula Two. I think he's a cool dude. Um, what do you think about Albon? Ooh, yeah. I mean, I he's, he's, he's he's Red part Bull of, through and through. Yeah, but, he's part of the Red Bull like, um, yeah, back team, I guess, or or a sim team. Um, but you know, that's not the same. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. if there's a seat. That'd be, you know, you might have a a Pierre Gasly like <laughs> resurgence. You know what I mean? I but it is a Williams, so I, also he might just be blue flagged for a season. But you know, maybe he'd take it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of teams making moves, um, <laughs> or not, <laughs> or yeah, or not, Red Bull is not letting this go. Uh, the the incident between. Their driver, Max Verstappen, and Lewis Hamilton in the last race. Um, they have decided to, quote, take the matter further. Okay. Uh, with the FIA. So Autosport, Autosport points out that this is not an actual appeal to the FIA, but falls under regulations that allow competitors a right to review cases if new evidence has come to light. Okay. So this would basically involve three representatives from Red Bull and Mercedes making a case to the FIA in some kind of courtroom drama-esque scenario, probably with more folding chairs. Right. Um, Did they do this for all the times their own team member, their own drivers crashed into each other? (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) Um, So this did happen after Canada 2019 when Vettel forced Hamilton off the track uh, and got, this is the infamous, like him swapping the number two, uh, oh yes, of course. Flagged for number yes. one after he got penalized. Um, Ferrari pushed back uh, and got a review with the FAA, but the, they didn't overturn anything. Um, Autosport surmises that Red Bull could potentially offer a witness statement from Verstappen for his <laughs> totally impartial view of the he incident. Is the worst view of the whole incident, <laughs> uh, as he was not available at the time of the verdict, the initial verdict, due to him being transferred. As if the verdict has anything to do with driver feedback or team feedback. What are they on about? Yeah, but you can see everything. (laughs) Like even if like like I'm even like even if if Mercedes was wanting a review of this for the for the penalty points they get, I'd also say shut up. (laughs) Like like the the world of Formula One has has talked about this. It seems like the at least for the vast majority of of people analysts ex-drivers youtube commenters who have talked (laughs) about this we all seem to basically be in the same you know unless you're a you know your heart is pulling for either one of these drivers particularly strong we all seem to be in the kind of same realm of it was hamilton's fault but it it still kind of lies in racing incident for me or for us, I don't know. I don't want to mm-hmm. speak for everyone, but like fucking Jolian Palmer, Chain Bear, like all the people I follow on YouTube, um, loads of ex-drivers, the commentators on the race, both commentator teams on the race. It seems like that's the case. Why are they kicking up such a stink about this? Like, clearly this is tactical. Yeah, and like part of me for a, a long time, I think um, the image I had of Christian Horner was the. This is an American centric thing but i guess you can apply it but the the baseball 
manager team right. manager okay. because when yeah. a when a player player gets thrown out or like when something bad happens the manager is the one who runs off the bench and yells at the ump because if the uh, umpire throws the manager out of the game no big deal but if he throws a player out of the game then that's you know real bad for the team yeah protecting um, so protecting your your players yeah you protect your players and like christian horner um does that very well like he is very fiery when it comes to uh you know being on the side of his drivers i think with stuff like this though it, it just seems to go it's too much like what I, at some point it starts to become unsportsmanlike it's it seems like it's in bad faith that's what yes, it, that's, that's what, what yeah. comes across i think yeah because i don't know what the outcome is like what what are they trying to like are they trying to get lewis banned for a race cuz it's not like regardless of what you think how to blame hamilton was or how to blame you don't think he was or whatever it is the root the the sort of the stratosphere of possibilities that exist you have to be either a huge max verstappen fan or somebody who just does not really understand formula 1 very well to think that this was as christian called a professional foul i don't mind if he says that in the moment because it was a bad shunt for max and i can see how scary that could be that does scare us. It scares... Nobody likes to see that. It's great to see him get out of the car. It's also then worrying to see him going to hospital. But to say that... Like, is that what they're trying to... Because I, I don't know what, what else they're trying to do. Because Hamilton got a penalty. Maybe we can have a conversation about if those penalties are... You know... I think he was... I think he fell on the on the good side of fortune in two ways. One, in that the penalty was early in the race. Because that would fuck up someone's race. And he did fight it back. Like... You know, unfortunately for a lot of people who don't like Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton's a very good racing driver and managed to claw that victory back. And also, he was really lucky that it was red flag because his car got fixed. So there's two ways in which he didn't win that race and maybe a lot of these conversations aren't happening. The fact that he won mm-hmm. the race is what irks people. Yes. But he, he won the race out of, like, his skill and also a couple of different really lucky things that fell in his favor he didn't go out uh-huh. in the crash there was a red flag and it was early in the race and it was silverstone so you know it, it just seems like i like i don't understand what the point of this is other than the pr battle around max you know to protect him i guess but that's been done now like now now it seems like they're sort of streisanding this whole thing right yeah and 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 refusing to concede any <laughs> any of those points right or really yeah. anything. They can um, believe that he was kicked off the track by Lewis because that's what the ruling was. <laughs> that's what yeah. the FIA said. They also said, yes, Hamilton knocked him off the track. That's what the ruling was. So yeah. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. And, and the reason I'm getting passionate about it isn't because people are disagreeing with my... I don't care. Like, I, I totally understand if people think that this was 100% Hamilton's fault. And there are some people who think it was Verstappen's fault. I don't... I, I find that less believable, but sure, I can... I can see a world in which you want that to be the case or whatever. The reason I get angry about it is because I think Christian Horner is, I don't like this type of um, like fake, like generated anger mm-hmm. is, it, it doesn't go anywhere. There's no way of resolving this. Like, and I, and I think Horner in doing so is, is acting um, selfishly and not for the sport. I think he's really just like, screaming at all the other kids on the playground for taking his toys. And I, I think it, it makes the sport worse for everyone. And I, I wish he'd just shut up. 
Yeah, this this incident is probably the most in my memory that feels like it has barbs on it. You know <clears throat> that it and it's a, and it's a nothing incident if you compare it to yeah. so many other things that happen in an F one season crashes between drivers, bad blood. Like this, this was just a somewhere close to a racing incident. This wasn't yeah. Vettel turning his car into Hamilton and Baku. This wasn't teammates taking each other out. This was, you know, it's it's none of the, but it is it is very political. It's a very political moment, a flashpoint that's been a long time coming, and I think they're making the most of it. There's a, and this is just one more uh, in the <laughs> the Red Bull pettiness uh, bucket. But um, so <laughs> Christian Horner wrote like a, a debrief on the race on their. Um, their official website. Uh, he says during in that during the 16 and a half seasons, I've been team principal. I have never walked into the stewards room in the middle of a race or a session. It's a bit like trying to lobby a jury while they make their final verdict. The stewards are locked away to ensure they are independent of external influence in order to reach their own conclusions. Uh, okay. But Massey totally said like, yeah, Toto, if you would like to go talk to the stewards, you can do that. Yeah, and so Christian Horner's like, "Well, he shouldn't have been able to." He actually went up there, as Wolf did that uh, during the race, and said, "We none of us should be here. We should both leave." Uh, and now the FIA has basically clarified um, that maybe it's not a good idea for people to just be able to walk up there and interrupt the stewards, but they can still be invited to do right. so. You know, when so. Christian Horner didn't go to the stewards. The two worst incidents when Hamilton took out Alexander Albon at Interlagos and in Austria. They were worse incidents. They ruined Albon's race. They were worse overtakes. They were bad moves. They arguably ruined Albon's career. They happened mm-hmm. at the end of the race. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. Albon didn't go into a wall. That's, I think that's the difference is that, is that the, the, I'm I'm trying certainly to certainly nothing to do with him being their second driver. No, we have it, no second driver. No, nothing to do. You know, it's like Verstappen is very protected for a lot of reasons. He's a really important. We got a great email. I didn't read it out today. Um, uh, from from somebody about just like there's a there's a lot of interest behind Verstappen. So I totally see if he gets in a situation that is bad for his image or bad for his health that a lot of people come out of the water to protect him on the media side and on the Red Bull side and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and if Christian um, Horner doesn't do this, Jos Verstappen's going to be like, why right. aren't you protecting my son? We're out of here. Oh, yeah, or yeah, I can, I can see how there is pressure on Horner maybe to do this sort of stuff, but but it is like night and day. Like it, like if if you're looking at this as one, if you look at this and then just like apply the logic that we're, we're doing, apply the behavior of a team principal and then look at any other incident in which there was like a, a, a driver really hurt themselves or, you know what I mean? It's like if would Christian Horner go after Danny Kvyat for the Grosjean incident, if it was Max Verstappen, like, oh, he shouldn't have been there. You know, it's it's one of those. It's just like, this, they fucking crashed, dude. It's a race. They crashed. They both went for the corner. Hamilton got in trouble. Shut up. <laughs> right. <laughs> what, right. What are we doing here? Like, because yeah. all it's doing is stoking worse bad blood. And then suddenly we have a race. We have we have a season which is down to these, you know, Ayrton Senna, Alain Prost moments, which like, I don't really want. I don't want yeah. drivers playing chicken with each other and 
that's rivalries are fun bad blood is not totally i don't like it it's what i didn't like about the schumacher area the end which parts of it were which is when i sort of like bounced out of the sport like i i just it doesn't it doesn't feel like the place for that type of thing. Like, sports can be that way. MMA, it works really good, for instance. <laughs> but, like, it doesn't feel right when cars are driving this fast. Like, there's enough going on without without people begging for blood. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's move on here. What's been going on with the calendar? Oh, my God. So, this Qatar story, my goodness. This was a Rob Zachney story, if ever there was one. I'm, I'm taking it. But I have read this twice, and I am trying to make heads or tails of it. But there's a couple of different things happening in the Middle East um, uh, at the moment. And a lot of it has to do with, it seems like, sort of business deals or business deals that existed in the past or changing. Um, the first story that we have here is coming out of Qatar. They, of course, have a pretty good racetrack um this is in the middle east in case you didn't know it's it's kind of like bahrain it's a small sort of uh, petrochemical micro state um Uh uh, they have a a, a track there that MotoGP has been on for a couple of years but apparently according to this article i'll give you the sort of the the synopsis of it apparently eccleston because they had the deal in bahrain they had that track they had a sort of a soft gentleman's agreement that they would not do qatar because it was sort of you know a bit too close to home honestly bahrain and you know yas marina in abu dhabi are not exactly far from each other either but bahrain was perhaps a was or qatar perhaps was a little bit too close so they had this whole thing uh reason why they weren't doing it um apparently there is a uh a desire to go back there now because there are business there are companies and business interests uh, interests associated with Qatar that F1 are trying to get on board. It's not mm. unlike why Jeddah is on the calendar, for instance. So that's one reason why I think it's uh, LaSalle International Circuit um, is is something that people are saying might be on the calendar uh, in future years. And there's a sort of a stretch that it could be on the calendar this year. It might be hard to get a lot of that stuff done because of the nature of some of these business dealings that that the signing of this uh, circuit is kind of maybe a long time coming so when they do it it won't be a sort of a you know one and done imola situation <laughs> or portimao it'll be a more strategic longer longer term deal perhaps um but something to keep, to keep an eye on um uh is the is the the chance that they'll go here uh, it it looks very bahrain and they do also do it at night time so it would likely end up being a similar race to that. Um, yeah, so I guess keep so your eyes... What, yeah, what is the business that they are trying to court? Um, What is it again? This is where I lost. This is where my brain turned into sludge. The, well, the well, headline suggests Volkswagen, right. um, which is interesting because uh, earlier in, in uh, the month, in July, um, they had... Uh, Formula One had a power unit discussion okay between the current and potential new power unit suppliers regarding the next phase of engines so we're getting new cars in 2022 but all the uh the the power units are going to be the same in 2025 they might change and so i think volkswagen was one of those at the table being like listen if 
if things if if your regulations go the right way in 2025, we might be in. Right. Qatar's uh, sovereign wealth fund QIA holds the second largest individual uh, block share of um or share block rather of uh, of Volkswagen and of course Stefano Domenicali ah. was the former chief executive of uh, Lamborghini which is part of that whole group so there's a lot of oh boy I yeah need, I need some some red yarn yeah it's one of those ones um but people who are familiar with this sort of twisty narrative um seem to think that that's kind of a done deal in some respect or at least is this a Dieter Rankin joint um I have no idea <laughs> uh, it <laughs> is <laughs> yes on race fans amazing nice yeah of course uh Dieter also reporting on this uh, story about Saudi Arabia um the sprint race uh possibly replacing the Abu Dhabi uh Grand Prix um so the idea behind this is that the Yas Marina track might be in Britain's red zone of countries um, which means that visiting there during the COVID times would require a 10-day quarantine. So moving Abu Dhabi forward by a week would allow uh, most of that period to expire during the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix weekend, um, which would then be the final race on the calendar. So it's basically a way of like swapping that stuff around so that the Middle Eastern part can all work together. Um, so... That's the sort of idea is that they might have a sprint race instead of Abu Dhabi, and it might get mixed around a little bit. Um, but we still have other races. Wait, you're talking to- about like a sprint race weekend, Ye- not just a sprint race. Um, let me see. I assumed that they were doing a sprint race, like a double, like a double header, almost, just to to keep those ten days apart. Um. This year's Saudi Arabia race could see the third running of Formula One's new sprint qualifying race uh, weekend, which debuted at British Grand Prix last week. Okay, so it's um, they're just saying that if these were to swap, we would also do the sprint thing again, like sprint. we did in Britain. Where are the other two races? One is us. They haven't confirmed it yet, but it's I think it's uh, One, Italy and yeah. um, Brazil. That's the I'm rumor. Assuming we're assuming Monza then when they say Italy. Yes. I guess. That'd be a good idea because Monza's qualifying two years in a row now has turned into a nightmare where everyone's <laughs> waiting to <laughs> do their final lap and they all get caught in traffic. Um so yeah, we'll see about that. So yeah, yeah, it looks like they would do the sprint race for uh Oh, Monza uh, is confirmed. Sorry. It is. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then Interlagos. That's good. Um yeah, so we'll uh We'll see. Um, there's, a, there's a lot going on in the Middle East, uh, which may happen this year. Uh, you know, it wasn't so long ago we didn't have any races in that part of the world. And now we are looking down the barrel of four in a in a pretty, three of them pretty close to each other in a almost like a little mini Europe. I don't think there's any, there's as much density in, in circuits anywhere else in, on the calendar. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, and nowhere uh, else on the calendar uh, is that excited about oil? So I guess that's it makes true. Sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, you know, also F ones in Europe because of colonialism. So we've all, oh yeah, you know, it's all, everyone's got there. <laughs> There's a reason. I'm not sure which is the purest race on the calendar. Maybe something like Australia. I don't know. <laughs> they seem to be people. Just you could cut that one off pretty easy. It's pretty far to go, but people like going because Aussies are fun. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, speaking of rounding the world of sport. 
Is this the Olympic story? Yeah. Do you want to take that? <laughs> sure. Or do you want? Or should we? Should we move on? <laughs> no, nah, let's do it. I'll do it. I'll cover it quick. Jalopnik hopping on that hot SEO hit for the month of <laughs> July 2022 has uh, um, done a story entitled uh, "Racing was actually included in the Olympics once." Um, I actually I- wondered about this because they they've every year they seem to include more and more sports, and I'm like, well, what about what about my sport? Well, yeah, there's always a sport where you're like, should that be it? Like the chess one, right? There's always a conversation about should chess be in the Olympics? Is that a sport? Is there, what is a sport? And then like, I think the reason people, some people don't want chess in the Olympics is because how do you not do video games once you've done chess? Right. Um, Well, it's about, I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to wade into this, but like you could do chess without moving. You could do chess without moving. Can you do chess without moving? You just, sure. You just say, Hey, move that piece to, you know, G4 or whatever. Just get someone else to do it? Yeah, I guess. You, you could do every sport without moving. <laughs> <laughs> You're just not going to be very good? Exactly. <laughs> be a real uh, interesting um, gymnastics event. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. There's, you go back in history, especially during the sort of the 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 carny years of the Olympics <laughs> before, you know, between the Greek antiquity and the... Uh, or the Roman, no, Greek antiquity and the um, the modern day sort of uh, post-war rejuvenation of it. Um, there were some there were some fun years there where the Olympics was a bit of a bit of a freak show. So <laughs> there was a lot of uh, weird sports going on there. Um, so Jalopnik did the research and found out that there was actually racing in the 1900 Summer Olympics. But there's a pretty significant uh, catch. I'll uh, I'll take the quote here from Jalopnik. 14 races were held in conjunction with the 1900s World's Fair, which has resulted in these races taking on a more unofficial status. So this mm. happened a lot. They they double up the Olympics with the World's Fair, and then there was events happening that were sort of adjacent to the Olympics that people weren't really sure if they were part of the Olympics or not. It was all just part of this melange of activity to get people to to come and, and, and attend and buy tickets and stuff. The International Olympic Committee never decided which events were considered to be of Olympic status, but because motor racing never returned to the Olympic Games, historians have assumed the races were more of an exhibitionary capacity than they were legitimate events. This is the best part. That said, medals were still awarded and there were 14 different classes in which to compete. Entries were listed by manufacturer and not competitor, which means that rather than awarding a medal to the winner of a race, the medal will be awarded to the car maker, which is great. I love it. Just like F1. Uh, Unfortunately, record keeping in 1900 wasn't what it is today. So most of the competitors names have been lost to time. My favorite, this is the this is the, the, the chaser. We just know that most of the car manufacturers were French, with the exception of the winner of the fire truck category, which is was an American. Yes. <laughs> fire truck racing in the <laughs> Olympics, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Wow. Have you been watching any? Yeah, I've been watching the. Um, I've just been going to NBC's YouTube and watching people cry when they win. That's all I wanted at the Olympics. Really, okay. is is watching people uh, cry, and then years later, I'll find that they were doping. <laughs> right. I. It may not be a surprise that someone who spent three years of his life uh, documenting weird sports and games around the world right. is a big fan of the Olympics. What's uh, your what's What's been some of your highlights so far? I I love just going deep on like what is this sport? I want to see. Well, I've never seen this before. You should check out uh, Air Rifle. Okay. It's like ostensibly a shooting 
sport, but these don't look like any gun I have ever seen. They look more like pneumatic uh, paintball guns or something. And they they hold them real weird and they're wearing giant canvas and leather suits to dampen their body movement. Oh my God, this looks And they have crazy. these weird like uh, shades over their eyes so they don't have to close one and squint. Uh, there's no recoil at all. It is so far removed from like the, the discipline that it came from. It's like, uh, it looks like a, a future sport or like an alien sport. Yeah, this it's is really absurd. Strange. Oh my god, it looks awesome. I love the yeah, god. It is the coolest thing about these sports is learning like just how deep all of them go. Like F one's similar, right? People go, you start watching F one, you're like, oh, they just race in circles, or you know what I mean? It's like, right. But it's only when you like get to learn learn any sport that you sort of you yeah, appreciate. and then you watch for like five minutes, and then you're like, mm, poor form. Like you, you are an expert <laughs> after like one round. You're like, well. Yeah, they didn't do so hot in that, I guess. Yeah, like uh, diving. I'd love to know what's going on in diving. Like, I'm like, that looked pretty cool. That was pretty good. I couldn't do that. Gold medal. <laughs> uh, canoe slalom is also really fun. Oh, man, I bet that's... God, can you imagine how strong you need your arms to be for that? Oh, yeah. That is the, insane. The core strength is 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 nuts, but it's is like... Is it whitewater? Is it like... Yes. They create okay. rapids in like a, you know, uh, concrete a runoff shoot or something yeah they did this in so i lived in london during the the olympics there um and i my building the building i lived in was literally the closest building to the olympic park to the olympic stadium it was built behind us for two years i was living in stratford so like stratford changed totally from this sort of east east london almost backwater stop like you'd never have a reason to really stop you're probably on the way out somewhere else further to the biggest train station in all of east london to the biggest olympic park but they built that rapids thing just up there i think it was the first year they'd done canoe in the olympics um was london i'm pretty sure yeah so i've seen that system it's crazy isn't it to be able to like generate the because they don't do it for the surfing they can't because you can't get waves big enough Right. And so you you start at one end, you know, you go down what is essentially a white water water rapid, but there are like hanging um, gates that you must maneuver your head through. And so you are constantly like there's I think there's green gates that you just go straight through, but red gates, you have to go around them. So you have to pass them and then paddle back up and get your head through them. It looks exhausting, but it's pretty fun. There was a false start in the men's triathlon. Um, was it really the, yeah the pilot boat that was doing something was still in front of half of the competitors so the our alarm went off half of them jumped in but the other half on the pontoon was like we can't jump in there's a boat there like it was like right in front of them like they would have like landed on the boat maybe if they had jumped long enough Whoa. so they had to call all the other but the other guys were like can you imagine the start of a triathlon they're just gunning for it um yeah. Uh, so, but they had to get all these folks in canoes and, and jet skis to go out in front of them and go, no, 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 no. And then they all had to swim back. <laughs> so a killer. Yeah, by the way, the, uh, the, the the canoe is not like your your summer camp canoe. <laughs> it is, that would be impressive. Uh, it's more like the like a single person kayak, but the canoe means you just have one paddle instead of the, the double hand, double handled paddle. Okay. It's just like the one that you... you are they standing on it or are they in it? They're in it. They're in it, yeah, because there is another standing canoe event. Oh, jeez. All right. Um, my favorite thing is watching, because I'm, I'm from Ireland and we didn't win that many medals. We had Sonia Sullivan, who was good at marathon. She got us gold medals. We had a couple of boxers who were really good. 
we had one swimmer who was really good but then had to give all her medals back because she was on the drugs mm. um but we uh but i love watching the smaller countries win medals and there was a couple of firsts with the philippines a woman in the philippines you talking about for this one yeah, it was the All first. Right, don't don't spoil too much. I'm still oh, watching. Okay, okay, I won't tell you. There was, but there was a couple of countries that got their first ever. Um, oh, that's cool. Gold medals, which was really cool to see. A bunch of different types of islands. Um, the, uh, the, the so that was that's always pretty important. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was like first time Philippines got them. Really, it's a lot of people. Like, wow. <laughs> like there's one or two of them. We're like, yeah, that's a small island. I get that. That would be the first time they got a medal. But yeah, it just goes to show, you know, a lot of a lot of investment or a lot of more investment in sport in some of these countries and you'll start to see them start to see them come through yeah well um from around the world to one place in particular danny let's talk about hungary ermagerd i said the it ring it's the hunger ring we're going off to hungary I'm hungry for some racing. Are you? I got millions of these. I'm a dad now. Uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix is a holds two records in the world of Formula One. It was the first race behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, Bernie Eccleston wanted to have a race in the USSR. He wanted one in Russia. Uh, people told him, that's crazy. Why don't you try Budapest? So they did. And they tried to build a street circuit. Um but uh, that wasn't happening, so they instead built this circuit about 18 miles outside the city, which has lasted the test of time. Um, it also holds one more... Um, uh, 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 what is it? One more record? World record? A gold medal, if you will? <laughs> it was the fastest F1 track ever built. Eight months from start to finish. They managed to get this done. So, there you go. Good job, communism. <laughs> <laughs> if you get enough people to to join in you can build a track pretty quick um it's a really weird circuit hungary is one of my favorite circuits because it is basically a go-kart track for f1 cars it has a bunch of features that you don't tend to see all together in one uh racetrack first of all this is not a place for cars with straight line speed um it has one straight the start finish straight the pit straight you kind of need to have that to have a pit lane you need to have at least one straight it's not a particularly long straight and it's basically the only straight on the circuit it's so small and it's only one straight that there's only one drs detection zone and it works for two parts of the track so once you have turned turn one you have there's a drs straight on the straight and then once you take turn one there is another smaller drs zone they have up to turn two just because they feel bad for you because there's no drs here um it's the corners here are very weird so a lot of f1 tracks have a lot of straightaways and then sort of hard braking zones into tight turns the turns in hungary almost all of them i think there are two parts in the track and I'd even argue maybe just the first one on turn one, which is why it's the only real spot for overtaking on this track, by the way. Um, unless you're crazy and you try around turn three, which some people do. Um, they're Basically, all of the turns on this track are taken at, at medium speed or high speed. They, but, but, never, but only one of them's flat out, which means that you have this weird situation where there are 11 braking zones on this track, but none of them are like, 
all the way breaking zones you know what i mean like all not like only one of them really is one where you are going down to like third gear again most of them you are breaking a little bit before you are then powering through a corner like you could almost lift and coast your way around this entire track because you're just trying to decelerate a little bit before each turn so it's a very weird track. It's it's one of the shortest tracks on the circuit. It's a 70-lap race. It's also one of the slowest tracks on the calendar because they don't have much straight-line speed. But it's not slow like a Monaco where you're doing a lot of slowing down and catching up like the, you know, Casino Square or this, you know, a lot of these places where you're, the car is getting quite slow. You're kind of always on it. So it's it's a tricky one. Um I was watching a, uh, I watch a bunch of different track walks and circuit guides before these just to refresh myself with some of the um, ideas around this track. And there was one really good with Robert Kubica where he talked about the final two turns, especially on this track. Turn 13, which is the penultimate turn, very reminiscent of that little corkscrew in Bahrain. You know, that little annoying turn, I think it's nine or 10, the one that has, it's like downhill and left and you're never quite sure where the apex is. The penultimate turn here is that and then the next turn is almost that in reverse going uphill to the right and he said they're really hard for drivers because you have to stay slow up to a point if you go to where like every bone in your body is basically like i I need to power out of this corner but you can't you just have to like keep going slow through the turn and then eventually do it so he said like it requires patience this track in a way that a lot of the other ones don't where turns are basically set up for you to find the line get in and go out and it feels natural there's like a flow to it this one it's just very it's not a very mechanical track but it's just different to a lot of the other ones um there's it's not like much a mario a auto scrolling level where you want to keep <coughs> jumping ahead but you can't I, or that punishes you for for your impatience i'll have to take your word for it i, I can't really remember those i'm not a big mario fan what <laughs> sorry right. <laughs> yeah having i guess yeah like a dark souls boss or something you gotta you gotta play to the beat of them rather than implement your own right. will on the scenario um the other last two things to mention that gets very hot here um the track is in like a natural bowl but also hungary in july is can be pretty hot so the track will be warm um braking or uh, uh, cooling your car here can be quite tricky uh the brakes are worked quite a lot but also there just isn't many straightaways for you to get clean air you're kind of following a lot of cars through a lot of turns here so it can be quite turbulent and tricky um it is a bit of a tough track for overtaking basically the end of the first turn is the the one to get it done on uh you will see people try in sector one maybe into sector two if i was to make a max and lewis hit each other uh uh you know prediction i'm not i don't i don't bet on that happening but if it does happen it'll happen on turn four it'll happen once they're fighting through turn one through turn two out of turn three there's multiple lines lewis can set up an overtake and turn four is not a turn you overtake unless one of the drivers pulls out and it's mm. one of the only ones that has runoff on the outside of it there's a couple of turns here turn four and turn nine um that have a bit of runoff on the outside but there's a lot of gravel here so the reason why this track can be fun is that you tend to have people it's just kind of on the limit a bit it's a tough track so people make mistakes because they don't want to end up in the gravel and then some people end up in the gravel too so that's where a lot of the interest comes out of so hopefully we'll get a good race it could be a procession too but i think we have 
I, I think this track boxes people up in a way because it's short and it's tricky enough that usually we get some fun racing out of it. Yeah, and with it being a slower track with not a lot of straights, maybe a team like Ferrari could, you know, punch above their weight here. Yeah, totally. Uh, which it'll, would be it'll, fun. it'll feel good for, this is also in an Austria sort of way, it's kind of like Austria, actually, in, in some ways. Um, just way more turns. Uh, this this definitely favors Red Bull over Mercedes. Interesting. Well, we shall see. We may get another wrench thrown in the gears for weather. Like you said, oh. Danny, it's going to be warm, 30 degrees Celsius or uh, about 86 Fahrenheit um, on qualifying day with, uh, I'd say, 15% chance of precipitation. Okay. Um, but on race day, uh, a little bit cooler at 26 Celsius or 78 Fahrenheit, but the precipitation chance uh, starts around that uh, 20% area, but then climbs to 54 over the course of the race. So Muggy. Yes, 54% humidity. Uh, scattered thunderstorms, which could be exciting. Um, let's go down the driver standings, shall we? Um, Max Verstappen is on top of the 185 points after the DNF in the last race. Uh, Lewis Hamilton is right behind with 177. Lando Norris is in third with 113. Valtteri Bottas is, uh, in fourth with 108, followed by Sergio Perez in fifth with 104. Charles Leclerc has 80. Signs has 68 ricardo has 50 gasly has 39 and in 10th place sebastian vettel with 30 uh alonzo's got 26 stroll with 18 Ocon has 14 sunoda has 10 kimi raikkonen and antonio giovanazzi are tied with one in 15th place and behind them george russell mick schumacher nicholas latifi and nikki demazepin all have zero in the constructor standings, Red Bull is on top with 289 to Mercedes's 285. McLaren is in third place with 163. Ferrari uh, is in fourth with 148. Very close behind. Look for them to, you know, really want to <laughs> take over that third spot at this yeah. race. Uh, Alpha Tauri is in fifth with 49. Aston Martin's got 48, and Alpine has 40. That's a close battle. Uh, then we've got Alfa Romeo in eighth with two points. And Williams and Haas with zero. The goose egg. That's right. If you'd like to score some points of your own, <laughs> uh, you can join our fantasy league with the link in the show notes. Give us your best race puns for the team name. Uh, should we take it to some emails, Danny? Let's do it. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.co slash emails. I got a bunch here. If we can get through them quick, we'll, we'll be able to cover them off. Um, this one comes in from Mike from Boston. Hey, Racy Boys. Ever since there was talk of a reverse grid race, I've been trying to think of a way to make sense on an F1 weekend. My idea is to run qualifying on Friday to set the initial race order. Then Saturday have the reverse grid race. But unlike the current sprint race, it's actually not a race. It's an overtaking competition. For every overtake, a racer makes their starting position go up by one. If two adjacent cars both complete an equal number of overtakes, then they cancel each other out and maintain their positions. But if a lower qualifying car makes enough overdue overtakes due to skill or superior car for racing, they may end up starting on pole. I'm really liking this idea because 
uh, qualifying Friday would reward pure speed, downforce, and skill like it does today. But Saturday reverse grid would reward card stability and racecraft. The result is that uh, the most well-rounded car gets pole position, and teams who want to be successful just can't rely on Mercedes uh, qualifying like Mercedes largely did for the past few years. What do you guys think? Embrace the chaos. I love that yes. this this seems like a mathematical nightmare as well to try and figure out where, because your position is relative to how everyone else is doing. This sounds like a nightmare. I'm fully on board. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see no problem with this whatsoever. I say we try it. I think it's a bad uh, idea for for the competition for the competition for it'll just there'll be lots of crashes. I I think the drivers would hate it, but I I think it's a great idea for the spectacle. I think it's terrific. Yeah, you might <laughs> you might just get Mercedes doing all the overtaking, right? <laughs> right that's the thing, yeah. So, <laughs> Hamilton's actually, yeah, that car's all right. That car's pretty good. Yeah. Um Thank you, Mike from Boston. From another Mike in Wisconsin. Want to take this one, Drew? Yes. Mike says, hi, guys. This is my first year of listening to your podcast. Love what you are doing. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Do you think that during the red flag at Silverstone, Hamilton should be able to do extensive repairs to his vehicle without any further time penalties if he supposedly wouldn't have been able to finish the race? Yeah. So as we mentioned before, there was a red flag in Silverstone. Mercedes fixed Hamilton's car because if they hadn't, he would have gone out of the race. Uh, but you're allowed to do that under a red flag. Um, Mike continues. I understand tires and maybe a front wing, but wouldn't make it wouldn't it make more sense to have a time penalty similar to how long it might actually take during a green or yellow flag, especially for cars involved in the incident and not cars that may have run over debris from said incident. Seems crazy to me that someone could win a race after repairs were done that otherwise would have caused a DNF. Just interested in your thoughts. I think you got a good point here, Mike. I think it is a bit of a a wrinkle in the rules here um, that when a red flag happens, you can just fix your car because if you imagine that the red flag is just like hitting pause on the race, which it is for some other intents and purposes, right? then it doesn't really make sense that you can kind of out of, you know, out of time fix your car. Um, I think yeah. it's probably a... It's not a sporting regulation. It's an entertainment regulation because you don't want to have like you want cars to be able to finish back in which I'm sure this this rule was when it was set uh, old. Go watch an old Formula One race like a third of the cars go out of the race with technical problems without even hitting anything. They just like their engines just explode. Um, And so I I could see that uh wanting to mitigate some of that just so that we have a a fun race but you're you're right it doesn't really make sense um yeah. i could see them just yeah applying a time penalty like hey you want to fix your floor go for it but you're going to get you know a 10 second penalty or whatever yeah i was i'm with you i i was wondering what the origin what the origin of this one is because i think this actually like I like I said I don't think the issue so much is the incident. The, the the incident was definitely worth talking about and is a flashpoint, but I think a lot of the fallout from that race has more to do with the fact that Hamilton went on to win. And I think there is a conversation to have about the penalty maybe, but because like penalties aren't meant to dispense justice, it's not it doesn't really work, but this part I think this this is a sticking point I think the idea that under a red like he basically was able to finish because of this 
uh, rule which obviously isn't there for this reason uh, i wondered whether it was to do with the spectacle because like you said in years past that was a big problem i also wondered if it was a safety issue like we know our car is broken but we're going to send our driver out anyway you know it picked up some damage because there was a crash and we all drove through the debris maybe and we have to finish you know we have to clean yeah, out the side pods, that type of thing um I, I just linked to an article from race fans who actually just talked about this last week uh, with the fallout in Silverstone. And they said, apparently the red flag repair rule was introduced to enable cars to be fettled for changed weather conditions. Uh, but it is increasingly fettled. being used. Fitted? Uh, it must be fitted. It's fettled. They were F-E-T-T-L-E-D. Huh. Meddled? Fiddled? Fiddled? Uh, it's fettled. Yeah, but is increasingly being used to repair dry weather crash damage. There's no doubt that drivers have unfairly benefited from this provision given the increasing evidence of red flags caused by major incidents. That's a good point. There are way more red flags these days than there were in the past because they mm-hmm. pulled them out for track damage a lot of the time as well. Like, was the incident here? Was they had to replace that whole assembly? Barrier, yeah. yeah the barrier. Um, from under one per season 10 years ago to five in a single 12-month stretch. Sunday again proved the unfairness of this rule. So it's good email, right? I I'm I think that's a good point. The yeah the, the maybe they don't stop them from fixing parts because I could imagine that putting a situation where they put a driver out in a car that's maybe I don't know though because they do pull cars. It's it's tricky. Um, but yeah, adding some sort of penalty. But then the that becomes strategic as well, right? Oh, we won't fix it. Oh, we'll do this or mm-hmm. it's tricky. I but I bet the relative quickness of red flags as well because that red flag wasn't very long it was only like what was it 25 minutes or something like that or didn't seem like it was particularly long so maybe that's hard as well for them to go to the faa i don't know uh this next one comes in from eddie mack Uh, i've heard several times a year whether on the broadcast reports or even from y'all that ricardo isn't getting results because the car doesn't fit him well could you elaborate on that point lando is obviously a rising star but the fact that he's been able to gain so much more out of the mccarran is surprising obviously the renault last year was hamstrong with all the amount of functions but given how well lando's been running i'm curious as to what doesn't fit with danny rick um i guess the, the two points here ricardo you know his his form post Red Bull perhaps is one question on its own we could talk about and how he's fit any car frankly, um, but in terms of the fit we had there was a couple of people that talked about this this year we had Alonso talk about it we had Perez talk about it a lot with Red Bull about getting used to the car, um, once you get down to the sort of nitty gritty of a lot of F one drives, um, the 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 way in which like drivers apply throttle or their braking style or the way they like to enter corners a lot of this stuff is things that aren't you know copy paste from car to car cars behave in certain ways and drivers behave in certain ways kind of like if you were to you know if you drive your car every day and then you get in your ants your you know car to park them because they've had too many pints or something and you have to go out and use their car for the first time and you're like oh this is just feels a little bit different like you know how to drive it but it feels different it's like that but on a much more minute scale for f1 drivers so sometimes cars just don't fit drivers particularly well or certain cars fit drivers really well which looks like is the case with red bull and max verstappen for instance that car has been sort of maybe built around his style as well so yeah it looks like that's the case with ricardo where hopefully he'll get used to it and he's talked about adapting his driving style so that it better fits the way in which the car operates um but aside from that, we don't tend to get that many particular details on it because it is kind of a feel thing, I think, a lot of the time. Alonso did a 
breakdown I think recently about or we talked about a couple of months back about how um he was adapting to to his new car yeah I mean it has been tough to tell whether Ricardo has Ricardo's struggles have been down to the car or his or his form um of course because that's the nature of the sport right it's you know the blend between the driver and the car and like that Renault was not necessarily so great um but I think to me the mark of a great driver and you see this um is the ability to adapt quickly um which is a little distressing because I like Ricardo um and yeah. this doesn't necessarily mean that you know he, he's not a, a great driver it, it could just be like a a one-off thing where something is just not lining up but like you know Charles Leclerc went from formula three to formula two and that is a big jump because you're you know you got a uh, lot more torque a lot more torque you got to think about your tires a lot like it's it's very much the first time that these drivers get to like work with pirelli rubber and Mm. and you know um think about warming them up and all this stuff. like there's a lot to learn with that jump and he like jumped in and immediately like do i have this right he went from formula three to formula two and won the championship and then went to formula one i think that's the way it happened Mm. um and so that that to me is like okay this this guy's talented or you know Carlos Sainz jumping in to a Ferrari and then immediately matching or besting his teammate yeah like that that to me says a lot um, and check and again as well. I'm not sure the re- yeah uh, I'm not sure the reverse says the same thing in reverse like that that because Ricardo hasn't switched on the McLaren that he is a bad driver um, but. I think it is it is a little perplexing, and he, I mean he has he has said so, uh, and it must be so frustrating to to think you're doing everything right and you're just slow. Yeah, at least he did reach his achievement last week, which was he won out of top five and he got it. He didn't be yeah. Lando, but like also Norris is you know Norris is an accomplished driver. He's ta- he's definitely not a meme lord anymore. He's taking he has changed his which persona. Is too bad. Why did, pe- why did the media crush Lando's meme spirit? I think I think he. I think he's being smart. I think him and his team have figured out that he undervalues himself when he's that approachable. And I think he is, they're turning it a little bit more into, mm. oh no, I'm, you need to take Fine. me as seriously as people like Charles and people, you know, some of these are the young drivers because. He's also got he, one more year than Ricardo has in the car. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I, I think he's coming across as more of a accomplished driver. Two years, right? Uh, Drew, you want to take this next one from Alex? Yes. Alex says, Danny mentioned in the last episode he wasn't sure if the Melbourne track changes are still happening. I live near the Albert Park circuit in Melbourne, and there has been construction for months. It seems like most of those changes have been made already. Hopefully we'll see F1 return to Australia in 2022. That's right. We are uh, are not going there this year. That has been called off. But thank you for the... Boots on the ground reporting, Alex. Yes, our reporter on the field. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> and then the last one here from Shandy. Hello, I started watching F1 seriously, started with the second race at Silverstone last season. Um, 
When watching this year's Silverstone race, I realized that there were names for most areas of the track in a way that no other track I've seen, with the exception of maybe Monaco, has. Do other tracks tend to have names for areas of the track? Do we hear the Silverstone names more because the Sky presenters are so familiar with their home track? Or is Silverstone unique with the level to which areas have names? Thanks. Uh, good, question. good question. Yes, I think I think you are seeing a little bit of the um, English-speaking bias perhaps here um also just historically like silverstone has been raced on for a long time and there has been moments at a lot of these uh it's not so much the areas it's the turns in particular and the straights um some places have areas like they have the arena section for instance which is a relatively new addition to Silverstone. well it's not new anymore it's like probably 15 years ago but feels new um where they have sections, but generally it's the each turn and and it generally each turn has a has a name. Um, straightaways, I don't think on every track have names. I'd, I'd struggle. I think you to, probably name the turns first before you start naming straightaways. Keep the straightaways, maybe. Yeah, and they rename turns a lot too. Like, was mm-hmm. it Bahrain? They renamed Turn One Schumacher. I think. I think it was Bahrain. Um. They, uh, yeah, the Hamilton Strait, for instance, was a new addition that they, you know, added or changed rather um, last year. But yeah, generally it's the turns. And yeah, they do know them a lot more at Silverstone, probably because one, they're English, and two, like genuinely, there has been a lot of amazing races and incidents on those turns. So people know them. But like, yeah, every, every track, I'm pretty sure I, I can't, I, you know, I do the track walks for this thing. I've done it for years. I don't think I've ever seen a turn that didn't have a name. Um, at just, Silverstone? No, on every every track, every track, every turn has a name, as, as far as I know. Like, whenever really? I'm looking at... Yeah, yeah, you just never, they never come up. <laughs> oh, oh, I <laughs> like, see. I, I'm trying to think, like, I'm literally trying to think, like, is there any track that if I went to now, I wouldn't be able to, like, maybe... Like, the Monaco one stuff is obvious because it's generally, they're just named after the stuff that's there. Um, mm-hmm. But, like... Casino. Swimming yeah, pool. Swimming pool, exactly, yeah. It's all that sort of stuff. Um... You know, ones like Monza, for instance, the Lesmos and, and Curva Grande and the Parabolica and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, they but come like up. if you, if you, like the Jetta Street Circuit is not going to have names. And if it did, that'd be weird. Like even if Herman Tilka made a new track, you don't, you can, we haven't been there yet. There's no, there's no history to this. It's, you can't just start naming stuff. I'm going to find the names for the Jetta Street Circuit. That's going to be my, my my thing for next time yeah i'm just like I'm, I'm i'm flicking through google images here of just every circuit with names and they all have names like even ones you'd never think of like here's do you think the, the hungarian Adelaide, broadcasters the, the will Hungar- use hu- the names hungarian grand prix turn names i wonder yeah they're probably really obscure the Hunga- hungara rings uh turn names let's see if they have names i'm trying to find the names for the hungarian grand prix there are some really good names out there. 130R, I think, is a great one from yes, Suzuka. In, in Suzuka, of course. Which is like the it's a 130 degree <laughs> radius turn or something. Like that's what it's referencing. Um, I'm trying to, okay. Curva Grande this, is uh, spectacular as well. Each one I'm finding is is just giving me. I found a joke one, which is <laughs> which is named every uh, uh, turn on the Hungaroring here. <laughs> Goulash potato. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> paprika yeah a lot of uh yeah so that's maybe a bit um 
<laughs> racist but there was a yeah the Jetta street circuit i'm having trouble finding but for instance even the adelaide straight circuit has ones like the jones straight brewery corner uh, <laughs> of course it does foster's corner senna turn one and two at a, at, on the adelaide street circuit it's called senna turn one is but that's Wakefield. another one with history you know like what's the most recent track that we have raced on i guess oh yeah Jetta's, i guess the one but what's what's the most uh, portimao but that that probably that's, already has that's names. been around um sochi does sochi have names yeah it's probably every petrochemical company associated with vladimir putin yeah <laughs> one by one every every kgb officer he served with um okay i i'm gonna i'm gonna leave this one up to the to the shift f1 viewers if you can find me let me know is there i assume every track has turn names most of them have turn names the majority at least i've said all though i've the dice cast so let me know is there find me the weirdest most obscure strangest uh turn name and next week we'll read them all out we'll read out the ones that are there because i i've a you just know they exist out there um but yes yeah here there algarve street circuit Primera. Oh, we did this last time. Lagos. Lakes, remember? Mm-hmm. Craig Jones, remember? We did Craig Jones. It was a, <laughs> a, 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 a... I did all these before, yeah. Galp. Everyone's favorite turn on the F1 circuit. Galp. Anyway. Shift of phone podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash email. Thank you, Shandy, and everyone else who emailed us in this week. Yes, you can also hit us up on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. I am at Drew Scanley. Danny O'Dwyer is at Danny O'Dwyer. And Rob Zachney is at Rob Zachney. Uh, that is us around the internet. Should we take it around the world? Let's race around the world. Formula 3 and the W Series are supporting Formula 1 this weekend in Hungary. Mm. Uh, supercars are at the Winton Motor Raceway for the Winton Super Sprint. Races 1, 2, and 3. They're really packing it in. Whoa. Uh, the motocross grand prix is in F- flanders belgium <laughs> oakley doakley <laughs> uh the world rallycross championship is in uh, at the nurburgring for the world rallycross of germany i wonder if that's still happening i heard the nurburgring was damaged a little bit in the flooding that happened oh there. was it really yeah god that's wild that's because it's like it's on a hill it's like really high up. I've been there. It's on a mountain, basically. But yeah. I can see it. I guess there's probably parts of that track which are obviously lower. So, yeah. Huh. Uh, and Formula One. Maybe you've heard of it. The Hungarian Grand Prix <laughs> kicking off Friday, July 30th at 5.30 Eastern Time on ESPN2. That's Free Practice 1, followed by Free Practice 2 at 9 a.m. on ESPNU. Ooh. Um... We are back to the normal schedule. No sprint happening this weekend. Uh, Saturday, July 31st, Free Practice 3 kicks off at 6 a.m. on ESPN2, followed by qualifying at 9 a.m. on ESPN2. And the race, everyone, Sunday, August 1st, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Love to see it. Excited. Excited. Drink it up. We're not going to have another race for a few weeks. That's true. Yeah. But uh, like you said, Danny, we will have a, a post-race episode. Uh, we will have something going up. We've already decided what it's going to be. But oh, we yeah, will we have, have W Series 
uh, going up for patrons. And then again, in the summer break, we'll have a, another Patreon episode. Yeah. Uh, but we so, will be WC back. WCU's going up this week, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yep. perfect. I'll post it right away once it goes. Um, and then we will be back uh, before Spa, I think, is the one just after summer break. Yeah. So we'll be back for that. Uh, final thoughts on uh, the upcoming weekend, Danny. Uh, my final thoughts actually are, are cast towards our, our wonderful uh, listeners and emailers and everyone. Um, because maybe I'm overly sensitive to it, but I really don't want, I don't need, I don't need antagonism in the world of F1. If it's happening, you know, sort of authentically, sure. I just don't like, I don't like this for Stappen Hamilton thing being turned into a sort mm. of a, a drama. And um, what I've seen from our uh, uh, listeners and, and emailers and everyone has been really kind of cool like it's not been it's not like i had to like ignore 50 emails this week because people were going crazy like people are like you know even if they disagree on twitter or on emails they've been very like cool about it and saying like oh this is what i think or have you seen this or so yeah i just want to give a shout out to everyone i think we've a we've a fun little community here of people who tend to sort of uh have a good spirit when it comes to this sport um so yeah just want to say thanks to them for for being cool and uh, for being with us on this, it makes it makes turning up every w- week in the morning early to record these uh, <laughs> uh, much easier, much more fun, and knowing that people are, are cool on the other end of the on the other end of the the podcast. So appreciate it, folks. Thank you. Yeah, I could not have said that better. So um, thank you, Danny. Thank you, everyone out there. If you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, you can do so. Uh, over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.